Jamie. Hello. Hi. It's so good to see you. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm action writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, Jamie Moyer. Jamie Moyer is an alum of the Second City, Detroit, currently resides in Los Angeles, California, and is a member of Union SAG, AFTRA, and AEA. She has voiced two characters on Bob's Burgers, recently appeared on the Netflix series The Big Show Show, and had a recurring role on Modern Family. Jamie has also had appearances on Parks and Rec, What Up, Two Broke Girls, Jennifer Falls, Detroiters, Future Man, and played neighbor Mrs. Goldfelder on Disney's hit show Casey Undercover. Jamie was awarded the sole prize of my at the Out of Bounds Comedy Festival in Austin, Texas in 2011. Holy shit. I better know Jamie from dying laughing watching her perform at the Second City Hollywood and then having the pleasure of having her coach me when I was briefly with an improv group a few years ago. I am still mad at myself for quitting that group and missing out on more time with her brilliance because she is insanely brilliant. Anyway, so Jamie, tell us how much fun did you have being on Parks and Rec? What made you want to be an actor? How's being from Detroit? You take it away, girl. Kate, I love you. I Thank love you, you for having me. Being on Parks and Rec was a dream. The episode I was on was directed by Amy Poehler. Oh. So she wasn't in the scene with me, but she directed the episode and working with her was so fantastic. And I got to play Roz de Grandis, and I am her male lady. And so that was like a dream come true. And uh, one of my favorite guest stars I've ever done just felt so exciting to be on that show. And growing up in Detroit was also a dream. Detroit gets a bad rap, it does. dear listeners. It it's does. a fabulous city. And it has an underground of culture and art, music, poetry, theater. There's so much going on in Detroit that people don't think about or understand. And, and it's not your typical city. You have to kind of look for the things, but they are there and they're wonderful. And wait, what was the last one? The last one was um, what made you want to be an actor? That's oh, a bit yes. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so it kind of was written in the stars a little bit in that my mom and dad are both actors. What? They met. Yes, they met in college doing getting their degrees in theater. And so, in fact, they kind of encouraged me not to be an actor or want to be an actor. <laughs> Which but proves they bad, were. Yeah, <laughs> I had to go for it. So it, it, I think that there has never been a time when I didn't want to be. Oh, I love that. So so I want to rewind for just a second. So um, Detroit having this sort of underground art culture that you were raised in, because your parents were actors, did you get more access to that world? Or was that something you discovered as an adult? I think that's that's a great question. I, I think I had way more access because of their involvement. They exposed me to it because my mom had a theater when I was growing up. And my mom and my dad and even my stepmom worked at the theater for a time. And so my mom was the artistic director. And I had seen hundreds of plays before I even turned 18. I saw all kinds of shows. I saw dramas, comedies, musicals. And, and I knew all the actors. And I, I was so lucky because... 
I got to kind of meet every kind of person. And so I, I really had a diverse upbringing that I think has helped me so much in my life and in my career. And I'm so thankful that all four of my beautiful parents, uh, my mom, my dad, my stepmom, my stepdad, all have brought so much unique knowledge and culture to me that they really helped me as I grew and now as an adult to be exposed to so much. Do you model any of your characters after the, the a collection of people that you got to meet in that world? Oh, I'm sure I do. Be it <laughs> consciously or subconsciously, <laughs> right? So if I, if I saw a show... That, you know, there's a show that I, I maybe loved when I was growing up. You could be sure you might see some homage to it in a character. And then maybe I'm not even sure I'll be driving home going, where the hell did that come from? And then my brain will go, doo -doo 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 -doo. oh, yes, that show by Sam Shepard years ago. You know, so it's like... It's kind of funny. I think a lot of it is subconscious. Sure. Now, were there, uh, because you were sort of raised in that environment and you had the unique experience of having both parents be actors, were there other kids around in the theater scene or were you kind of like the little kid that everybody loved to have around because there was mostly adults? There were a few around, but I was the only one around consistently. And I thought that all the adults were my friends. And so I, <laughs> I kind of met them on a peer level. So sure. my mom will tell like a story where a show on opening night, she's like, where's Jamie? And she looks over and I'm sitting in the chairs talking to the reviewer. <laughs> and I'm going like, well, here's what I think. And, you know, but I'm like six years old. I'm like, here's the thing, Larry. And I'm just giving him my thoughts and everything. And she's like, let me go ahead and get her out of there. <laughs> Oh, no, they knew you were doomed in that moment. They're like, there goes our actor. Or like, that's oh, it. 100%. She's doing it. They, oh. were, they were begging me when I went to college, please have a double major. Please get a degree in something else. But of course, I didn't listen. Well, I kind of listened. I double major communications and theater. Which serve one another. Did you, yeah. where did you go to undergrad? I went to undergrad at U of D Mercy in Detroit, University of Detroit Mercy, also notable alum, Keegan-Michael Key. I wanted you to mention that, but I didn't want to bring it up. Okay, yeah. Yes, he graduated a little bit before I got there, but we knew each other through theater in Detroit. And I'm telling you, a lot of my friends, Kate, out here in L.A. that you are familiar with are people that I met in Detroit, be it through Second City or through the traditional theater scene. So Mary Beth Monroe is one of my besties, but I knew Mary Beth Monroe as one of the actresses my mom was constantly casting in shows she was directing. Oh, so I first saw Mary Beth Monroe in a production of Anne Frank, Diary of Anne Frank. My mom had cast her as Margot, the sister. So I'm Ooh. like, well, that's Mary Beth Monroe. So <laughs> I didn't even know her through Second City at first. Okay, because see, when I met you, you had I had just been in Second City for a second. And you got there and started teaching and like really changed the game and the stage. And like everyone was talking about you and your performances and stuff and how much fun you were and all these character work, all this character work you were doing, which was sort of a departure from what we were used to seeing. And I remember being so envious of the fact that you were just plugged in. Like you landed at Second City Hollywood and it was just like, it. I, I just kept thinking, I'm like, well, she must have lived here before because she literally knows everyone. And she's just like getting up and performing all the time. Like there, <laughs> there has to be some way she's been to LA before. And it was just like, no, no, just moved here. Just this is how it works. Yeah. That's I it. got very, very lucky because I'm an alum of the stage. I was able to kind of happen into classes teaching because I had taught for Second City in Detroit, and they love to have, or, you know, in the past, they would want to have alum be your instructors, just as my instructors were also alum, because we have a unique 
insight into how to do everything from the first minute we walked in till we put a show up on stage. So we lived it. I think they wanted their teachers to also be alum so that we could give that perspective to the students. But I feel really lucky that when I got to L.A., so many people, I think what happened was people would see me do shows and then they'd ask me if I wanted to sit in with them. So it was kind of like a snowball <laughs> that rolled really fast. And suddenly I was doing a lot of shows with Chicago alum that I did not know. Yeah. So and that I was kind of fun. Yeah. And that was right when Second City was we were also or they at the time they had structured that sort of video stuff that was happening. And we had all these grandiose plans. And we were like, we're going to do all these shorts. And it's going to be, you know, the new thing. And unfortunately, that had a pause put on it. But that was a really, really fun time to be there. I had uh, Dwayne Colbert is on a different episode. And we talked about just that magical I time. Him. I do too. Yeah, yeah, that was such a beautiful time. That was the heyday that we didn't know we were in. And I've had that heyday in my life many times when you're having the best time of your life, but you don't know it yep. <laughs> until later. And yeah. when when they started the Second City Network, Andy Cobb and Josh Funk, Mike Demanskis, Kyle McGrath, uh, Dwayne, people were just making videos and constantly in the building editing and they'd call and say, can you be down here at one o'clock and do a quick bit? And it, it makes... For any of your listeners who are who are in the business or want to do stuff, you have to just gather with your friends and do it because it makes every day feel worthwhile if you do one little thing. Yes. For your for your career. And that's what those days felt like. And I had just arrived in town and I wanted desperately to make things happen for myself and I didn't know how. So those were really magical, magical moments. Yeah, I would agree with that. And everybody that I've heard, you know, that I've listened to or watched their careers blossom, all of them. I mean, Keegan was doing videos with us for a while. Yeah. Not not like, oh, you sure. know, it wasn't years, but he was definitely, I mean, he was sort of in the same boat that we were all in of like, I don't know, do we just create content? I guess that's what we do. And so now, so uh, are you still coaching? Do you still, you still teach improv? I don't teach but I do coach you coach so I don't have any regular classes I'm kind of a free agent now and I'll do workshops and then I coach on zoom and before the pandemic I had stopped teaching because I got a writing job which is really exciting oh, I so I kind of have retired from regular classes but I still coach online and I was coaching in person before the nightmare oh boy Okay. And you got a writing job. Are you able to talk about that? I can tell you that I was writing on the first three seasons of Lego City Adventures what? on Nickelodeon. Oh my yes. gosh, how fun. I think Brian does a voice on that show, doesn't he? Brian, no, Brian and I actually wrote together. Get out of here. Brian and I, uh, we became writing partners towards Aww. the end. And we don't know yet if we'll be picked up again or be back. But we sure did have a lot of fun while we were together. I love that so much. It's all these Second City, you know, just weird connections that are, yeah, oh, yeah. To, to go back to your previous point that it was the heyday and we didn't know it. And just all the people That's that right. found success after that. Well, and I want everyone to know, and, and you too, L.A. is the, the biggest small town you'll ever have. Hello. Like, you, yeah. you, it's smaller than you think. And also it's ridiculously huge and vast and confusing. I, that there's never been a more apt description of the city than that right there. <laughs> Do you ever want to go back to Detroit? I love going back and I spent a lot of time there over the years of me living here. I would try to go back once every three or four months and do shows or teach or visit. 
And uh, I, I adore Detroit, but I don't think I would ever live there again. If I was to leave Los Angeles, I think I would try someplace new and different from L.A. But I love Detroit. It's always in my heart. And we are you're just very close with the people there and it doesn't really go away. You know, people are like, you moved, you've changed. I have not felt that. And I feel really lucky that I'm still tight with the people that I was tight with when I lived around the block. Do you want to rep a particular zip code or, or is that not a thing y'all do? <laughs> you don't have to skip it. 48224. I wondered. No, but you know, we do rep our, our area code 313. But yeah, well, oh, interesting. Is there an improv group that maybe there is got an built improv around group that? The 313. Oh, and weird. I still have my 313 phone number. Although when I first moved here and no one was calling, I kept thinking, <laughs> I wonder if they think this is a mistake and it should be 323 because that's an LA code. Oh. But then I started realizing half the people I met in LA had different area codes from where they were from. So I don't think it was a thing where someone tried to call me to give me the best job on television and they couldn't get through because it was the wrong area. <laughs> I mean, Jamie, you'll never know. And that, that's for the universe, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> okay, so bring us up to you today because we're going to eventually, folks, we're going to get into her customer service. She's not just a successful TV personality. She also had jobs that we've all had. But get us up to today. Oh, my blank slate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen. That's right. <laughs> And you're currently in Los Angeles right now, right? Yes, I am. I'm hunkered down. Okay. And uh, there was some great momentum coming into 2020. And now I think everything's kind of at a standstill. So I'm just hustling here and there and, and uh, trying to hiccup back into it. But the entire industry pretty much shut down. Yeah, um, which is a real pain in the ass. Uh, well, and oh, for, sure is, baby. <laughs> for the listeners programming note that I should always do up top and never do. I always think of it halfway through. I am still in Ohio. And obviously, Jamie just said she's in Los Angeles. So this interview is over Zoom. So the hiccups and the pops and all the things that you listeners are already used to and have been so graciously accepting are going to continue through this episode. Who knows? <laughs> it's a weird time in history. Okay. Uh, well, anything else we need to know about you, Jamie, before we get into the questions well these are questions i think is... yet we have covered the bases <laughs> get covered. to the nitty-gritty here we go all right folks we hope you enjoyed your apps we're going to go on to the entrees after a quick break we are back and now it is time for the entrees okay jamie this is the speed round of questions this is where we get into customer service feel free to tell stories you don't have to just like you know, rapid fire answer. I just ask a bunch of questions in succession. But if you think of a story, feel free to go off on a tangent. Um, what was your first job ever, ever, ever? First would probably be working concessions or answering the phone at the theater. Okay. How old were you? How old were there child labor laws involved? Do you want to not? Pro it probably was not uh, allowed, but I was there. So what the hey? Okay. And uh, then when I was 16, I got a special work permit to work at a movie theater. Ooh, now that's the best job ever for a teenager. Free popcorn, lots that of movies. That was the best. Yeah. I mean, did you get to watch all the movies you wanted? Yes. Oh, best. And you, ha you had mandatory, you had to take mandatory breaks and you could only work a certain amount of hours a week. And I loved it. I worked in the concession stand. It was probably one of my favorite jobs to date. And fun fact, Second City alum Megan Grano worked in the box office at the same movie theater. Get out of here. And we wow. went to concession Olympics together, which is a thing. 
What? And yes, it is. And then Megan and I, years later, were at a party in Chicago and we were like, I feel like I know you. She's like, I feel like I know you. And we started the whole thing. And she's like, I grew up in Gross Point. And I'm like, I grew up in Detroit. And we started naming high schools, college. We couldn't figure it out. And then all of a sudden, she was like, Woods Movie Theater. And my jaw dropped. Like, I used to love working with her. She was so sarcastic and funny, but we were just work friends. We never spent a moment outside of work, you know, but, but when we were on the schedule at the same time, we were like, yay. Wait, so, uh, um, so you that not so funny. It's the best ever. And that just speaks to how, to your earlier point, you're just going to keep coming back to this thesis that LA is so small. It's the smallest town in this large fishbowl. Okay. So I'm going to need you to get real specific about concession Olympics because <laughs> I have to know what that means. <laughs> okay. So Concession Olympics is where people who work for the blanket company of the movie theater, the movie theater company, all gather at one of the movie theaters. So basically all the branches of AMC showed up at the Bel Air movie theater on Van Dyke. And we had a tournament for... Did you upsell, counting the change back, no butter on the bag? Did you open the bag with your hands? Oh, my gosh. Concession Olympics. And Megan has actually written something about this. So I don't know where where she is with their stages of that. But, like, it's an actual thing that we did. Now, when you... okay, I had pins. I was, like... (laughs) really good and so we went to like semi-finals and I had my pins and so I had to wear this heinous polyester suit but I would pin my winning pins to my like polyester vest lapel wait it was I'm yes, dying wait I have to understand okay so when you say like no butter on the bag don't touch it are you performing for like a group of judges you're actually doing or were they taking ba- like it was based off your history of oh no you're doing it real live. time Relay race style. Oh my God. Count back the change. Did you upsell? Butter on the bag, hand in the bag, or or deductions. I mean, it was a thing. It was a real thing. And it was hilarious. Wait, God bless corporate, though, for keeping people engaged in a relatively mundane job. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then, like, when, so I worked for them, and that was awesome. And, like, you know, go sit and watch the movies. You could have popcorn, you could have pop, but you oh. couldn't use the the inventory. So we would make bags out of foil. We would take a big piece of industrial foil, fold it over, <gasps> fold the sides, fill it with popcorn, and then like take four courtesy cups of pop and go sit and watch a movie. That's the best. And then I think when I was 17, I got another part-time job working at family, or Point Video it was called. It was like a family-owned video store. And so I worked at a movie theater and a video store and still had my mom's theater where sometimes I would answer phones. Okay. So I was immersed in entertainment. I mean, it's really their fault that they allowed you to work all these jobs. Of course you were going to be an actor. There was no, what else, what the hell else were you going to do? Be a, like <laughs> no doctors coming out of that environment. Okay. So you're, we're up to three. So that was it. when you were 17, it was point video. We still had the theater concession stand. Where are we going after 17? Okay. Okay. Now keep in mind, I'm at, Woods Theater for years as my part-time job. Okay. At 19, I'm still working at Woods Movie Theater. I'm going to community college. This is before I go to my go to U of D. What up, I'm Juco? at community college. I'm at the Woods. This woman comes in every Monday with her boyfriend. She's 
gorgeous. She's blonde. She's kind of like a little bit of a bigger gal, which I'm like, yeah, girl. She has her cute boyfriend. She comes in every Monday and just like big, beautiful hair, jewelry, nails. She just was like a cool looking lady. I was like, that lady is awesome. So I started noticing her on Mondays. And so she'd go like, how you doing? And I'd go, good, nice to see you again. You know, it was a small movie theater. It was not busy. So you kind of, if you had regulars, you'd recognize them. So she comes in one Monday. Everyone's on break. So I'm basically running the show. Monday is the most dead night. So you might have 30 people total in, in any of the, the total amount of people watching movies. I sell her the ticket. I run out of the booth. I tear the ticket. Then I run behind the concession stand and I make her her popcorn. When she leaves, I'm putting up the marquee with the big arm. And she goes, honey, you work too hard. I'm going to give you a job. She goes, have you ever heard of City Club? I said, no. And this is like not to date my age, but I don't have a cell phone or Google at my you know, disposal. She goes, listen, calm down. To first in Bagley on Friday night, I'm going to give you a job in my club. And I go, okay, great. So <laughs> and you're 17 at this time, correct? I'm 19. You're 19 now. Okay, now we're 19. I'm 19. Okay. okay. So uh, I'm like, I'm like, this is crazy, but let's try it. So all week long, I'm asking people, have you ever heard of City Club? Have you ever heard of City Club? And none of my friends know anything about it. So I show up at the hotel. It's in the Leland Hotel, which also has 100 rooms at a Ramada, downtown Detroit. I go to the front desk. I'm wearing like a beautiful black cat suit <laughs> with like a gray blazer. And I've got like <laughs> stockings on and black flats. And I like, because she says coat check. I'm like, I don't know, you know. So I go to the front desk. I'm like, hi, I'm here for Sybil, you know. And he's like, go right into the, her office. So he points me into her office. I go in. There she is. Gorgeous hair, nails, everything. She's wearing like a black blazer. But sitting across from her is this like woman that's like larger than life, covered in tattoos, big Doc Martin boots, fishnet stockings, bra, no shirt, shorts. I'm like, huh, what what this is a thing? What is this outfit? <laughs> and so she's like, She's going to take you in, hon. You know, set you up in the coat check. So we go through the hotel. I'm like, it's a, you know, hotel, whatever. They open this side door and it's like walking into hell. <laughs> There's like all these weird paintings on the wall and like anorexic elephant skeleton, <laughs> baby arms coming out of the wall, mannequin heads. Everything looks so scary. It's really smoky and... She's like, okay, you're going to be over here. I get in the coat check. It's terrifying. Kate, I think I'm going to be murdered. I'm literally, I have no cell phone. Cell phones don't exist. I'm like, who knows I'm here? Ooh. What's going to happen to me? Am I going to get shot up with heroin? I mean, I was like afraid because everyone came in. It's a gothic industrial nightclub with people <laughs> who have like spikes embedded in their head and a mohawk and wearing rubber suits and like there's like 10 security guards which I think is good and and I'm like this is the scariest place I've ever been it was like I, I can't really describe it it's like the club in you know pretty in pink that Ducky goes to but then like 100 times scarier like it's nuts you know it's punks and it's wild so I'm sitting there in the coat check and I'm like 
just going to have to tell her, thank you. This is not my cup of tea. Uh, I'm not really into this. And so it gets, and the club closes at 4.30 in the morning. Girl, no. The bar bar stops at 2 a.m., but the club itself closes at 4.30. No, no. So at 4.40, she comes walking up to the coat check and she says, what do you think? And I'm counting out a stack of money. I go, see you tomorrow. <laughs> and I worked there for five years. Holy shit. For I worked there for years? five years. Eight. Oh, my it was God. It only open on Friday and Saturday nights. They didn't advertise. You, did, you couldn't even see what door to come in. If you didn't know what it was, you didn't know what it was. But when you came in, it's huge. And the dance floor... This was an old hotel. So the dancer was this huge ballroom that used to be where they had auto shows. The DJ booth was an elevator lift that used to bring cars in. But the entire place was painted with crazy themes. Over the years, the themes would change. I saw so much lunacy at that job. <laughs> I saw things you would not believe. I'm going to need an example. You don't have to, you don't have um, to tell on yourself. I saw people having sex. I saw fights. I saw, I had a girl steal my tips out of my <gasps> tip jar and then fall down the stairs. And they had to call an ambulance. Did you get your tips I, back from her? I did get my money back. I feel pretty confident. I okay. definitely was at the top of the stairs and I yelled down at her, karma's a bitch. <laughs> and she had like broken her, her arm. One night a guy like tried to walk across the ceiling. I mean, it was just it, like, like, like got in between some drywall and tried to walk girl like it was nuts it was the crazy i'm telling you this is one of the wildest jobs a person ever could have and i had it for so long because it was really good money and then all the staff you become like friends but the dance floor was all way in the back and it was all gothic industrial head banging music but in the front there was a jukebox <laughs> so i got him to put no doubt and tupac in there <laughs> Because you're like, I'm going to entertain myself, goddammit. That's right. That's right. I mean, they nobody liked when I played but played it, but sometimes I would play it. And there was like a boop boop machine at my bar, which, you know, we call it boop boop, but it was like, you know, you play the video game. So I put a lot of quarters in there. But Kocheck was hopping because they wouldn't let people bring in cameras. So you had to check your cameras and you had to check your spikes. No spikes were allowed. Oh. And so, 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 my, so people, and then that you had to check, you didn't have to check your coats, but it would get super hot in there. So between the coats, the spikes, the cameras, or any other contraband, if someone came in with like a knife, they'd be like, you have to check that man. And so the security <laughs> guards would pat everyone down and the coat check was right behind security. So sometimes people would come up to me and be like, this spike collar is very important to me. <laughs> And I would go, well, you can give me some extra money and I'll take extra good care of it. And then uh, I also had a little racket where if they didn't have their ticket, I, they would have to wait till 4.30 to get their coat. So nice. if they came up to me and they're like, I can't wait till 4.30. I have to get out of here. Then I'd go like, all right, listen, I'll go look for your coat. You have to tell me something that's in your pocket or I'll let you back here and you can look with me for your coat. But you have got to pay me extra. Nice, to do, that, to do you that favor. <laughs> so that was that Wait. was a very wild job. So, what was your average like take home from that job, money wise? Like, what was oh, an average man. night? I mean, I never left with less than. I never left with less than one fifty, and sometimes it would be way more than that. I mean, especially if you got one person who really had me watching an item and as cell phones as some people didn't have them they weren't allowed in so if i was watching someone's cell phone they might say like 
give me 10 bucks and be like, please be careful with this. And I'd be like, good. And everyone knew me. There was This place was filled with regulars. And sometimes it was, you know, 600 people in there. Get the big. fuck out of here. Club. It was huge. I'm not kidding you. It was big. So literally, if everybody wore a coat that night and only tipped you a dollar, you're still... That's what I'm saying. You're making rent. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it was really good money. It was really good money. Although some people were so cheap, they would come in freezing in the Michigan cold with no coat on. Okay. <laughs> Although I can't shame that because I've done that more than once. Yeah, or a- you could go back out to your car if you didn't want to, you know, once you got frisked or whatever. If you didn't want to come in, you didn't have to come in. So I'm still friends to this day with Sybil, who was the lady who hired me. I, we just exchanged Christmas cards. Oh, of course Merry she Christmas. celebrates Christmas. Of course, yeah. Sybil at the goth club. She, she is. She was not a goth person either. I mean, it was a job and she just ran it. She was a manager. She ran the hell out of that place. It was great. I had a lot of fun there. Towards the end, I stopped working coat check because the hours were really long, but Sybil didn't want me to leave. So I think my last year there, I was pretty much uh, exclusively the Jaeger girl. So I would come in and just sell Jaeger shots for two hours on Friday and two hours on Saturday. And probably make a grip of money doing that too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I had a Jaeger machine behind the coat check was another thing that we did to make money because everyone had to be marked 21. So if there was a huge line at the bar and someone wanted a chilled Jaeger shot, I ran the Jaeger machine. That is brilliant. You're you're a hustler. You got it in you. I'm really impressed. I am a hustler to the nth degree. I have always been able to, I, I mean, there have been times in my life where I've had so many jobs. In Detroit, I was a bar manager. I used to clean my friend's theater once a week for 40 bucks for like two and a half hours scrubbing the toilets so that I could make $160 a month. I was a box office manager. I worked under the Ticketmaster system. I was a bartender. I mean, I, I was artistic director of a theater and I also answered the phones and made the deposits and I cleaned that theater. And, and you know, I, I, I will do anything work-wise to make money. I don't have any errors about me of like, I don't clean. Oh, I will clean. And I will babysit. I mean, whatever it takes you're doing to, it to make it. And honestly, out here, it's a little harder to hustle those jobs. Because yeah. out here, jobs are hard to come by. And when you get agents and managers, they don't want you having a day job. They don't want to ever hear, I'm not available. That's right. And in fact, they ask you when you go on those meetings, do you have a day job? And your answer is no, I do not, because they don't want to hear it. They don't right. want to hear you have conflicts. And and if you do have conflicts, the answer is no to them. And then you figure it the fuck out. <laughs> That's right. A hundred percent. Yeah. So through the list you just listed, I got 13 jobs, uh, 13 customer service jobs. <laughs> Did you yeah. now I would count I would count coaching as customer service, although it's slightly different but i'm still going to put it under the same thing so i'm going to give you that's 14 and and interestingly enough i've never had a restaurant job i've never worked as a server i've only worked as a bartender and and you know if you count concession stand that's food service yeah it is i've never worked in a restaurant ever which is weird because most of my friends have yeah well you've done the the sort of you did the outlying weird jobs, but then got to the peak of the mountain with the bartending because bartending is where the money is. I mean, that's oh, just... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Although, uh, keep in mind, I bartended at a neighborhood hole in the wall that all of our <laughs> friends would go to. And sometimes I would leave with like 30 bucks. <laughs> but all of our friends would come in there with clay euchre. I'd put probably 
five bucks at least into the jukebox. They yeah. also had a bomb ass boot boot machine. So I would play some games. <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't bartending at like some of my friends who were bartenders would clear six hundred a night. At my bartending job, I probably never made anywhere near that much. Yeah, I mean that's a that also a local hole in the wall. You're you're there oh, yeah. for the but company. It was the best. Yeah, it I was mean the best. That's a fun experience. Okay. Oh, yeah. The bar is called Seven Brothers Bar, owned by a very moody Macedonian. (laughs) And it was the bar that that, it was like people call it the Sardis of Detroit. George (laughs) is the name of the proprietor. He's one of seven brothers. He's the eldest of seven brothers. Oh, the name makes sense. And he would put all of our headshots up. And he put reviews all over the wall. What? And yeah. And so I lived at this time in a town called Hamtramck, Michigan, which is a mile by a mile and a half city smack dab in the middle of Detroit. It's its own little city smack dab in the middle, surrounded on every side by Detroit. And Hamtramck is where tons of actors live. And in fact, it was Keegan who lived one block over from me. Keegan and Eric Black, who was a brilliant comedian and Second City Detroit alum, they would have afternoon tea because Eric was British. And they were walking once and they happened into Seven Brothers Bar. And they struck up a friendship with George. Now, at that time, the bar was just like any other bar in Hamtramck, which, by the way, had something like 25 bars in it, and it's a mile and a half long city. It <laughs> had it's out of work of actors. Yeah. It had bars in there's There was a great bar called Whiskey in a Jar, which was basically in someone's house that was converted <laughs> into a bar. Seven Brothers has three bars around it. There's just tons of bars in Hamtramck. I think it actually had a world record of like the more most bars per, per capita or something. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so Larry, not Larry, Larry came later, but Eric and Keegan forged a friendship with George. The the lore is, the story is that George went to Second City Detroit show, saw them, came back, and taped his ticket stub to the wall, and that was the first ticket oh, stub. Oh, I will die. That's so sweet. That's the lore. And George is wonderful. I love and adore him. He just had his birthday last month. He's still our friend. We still talk on the phone. He's in his 80s. Bless him. Yes. The bar is closed, but Planet Ant Theater, which is the theater I was working at as artistic director, they bought the Seven Brothers and the liquor license, and they use that bar as a rehearsal space and a podcast studio now. Brilliant. That's really, really smart. That's Detroit. You see, that's Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. You know how I said you still keep up with those people? He is in... He's on all of our minds. We love the man. He's just a great man. I, I miss that that piece of you can carve that out in L.A. kind of. But I really do love that tiny artistic community where you're just a bunch of weirdos hanging out together. Oh, yeah. And like you forge a bond that you can't really articulate to anyone else unless they've walked it. Like you just. I'm, yeah. That's it, girl. That's yeah. it. A hundred percent. It's it's hard to describe. It's part of what I said to you earlier where it's like you don't know you're in the best times of your life. Yeah. Those Seven Brothers days, my college friends all went there because we were all theater majors. So again, before I even went to Second City, I was in the bar with the Second City people, but I was there because of the college people. It's like we didn't know, you know, and now there's so many of us out here who had every birthday party in that bar. 
that oh. live in LA now. And, and it's no wonder we're all still friends. We're just very bonded. But the difference is when you get to LA, you just don't see each other as much as you did then. Well, and you can see kind of, I mean, not to just keep talking about Keegan, this show's about you, but I will say that when his show took off or their show took off, he was casting, you know, Naima was in the show. Josh was the musical oh, yeah. director. He like put a lot of a lot. in there. Yeah. yeah sure. And if, were you around when he, mm-hmm. him and Jordan, I ran the lights for their, yeah, I ran the lights for their show when they were pitching it. Yeah. I was at both of those. I think they did two, maybe three where they were like, we're trying some things out. Come, come for a free show. Yeah. Bless them. And Sam and Tim from Detroiters and uh, Sam Richardson, Tim Robinson, Tim and I were on main stage together. Sam was my former student. Get the fuck (laughs) out of here. No, he's my former student. And we're all still so close out here. Yeah, really remarkable. Well, because you all were in the trenches together. And I think that forms this weird, not weird, but this like sort of unshakable bond that, yeah, especially when you, I mean, anyway, LA is its own beast. Okay. So we're, we've got you up to about 14 jobs. Can you think, did you have to, so you didn't do any customer service jobs by the time you got to LA because sort of what got you to quit the seven brothers job and come out to LA? When I left Detroit, I had four work-related going-away parties. <laughs> I had four cakes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and when I came out here, luckily for me, I was able to go right into teaching at Second City. And I just, I had a good little nest egg of savings, which I recommend to anybody moving out here. Yeah. And I was very lucky to get my SAG card in Michigan. Oh. So that was very helpful to move and already be in the union. And I was in Actors' Equity because of Second City. And when I got out here, I just started hustling. Immediately. So it's, it's kind of interesting, Kate, that I have not had a job in L.A. that wasn't industry-related. I I have not worked a day in a place and I have had some very lean times, let me tell you. Sure. But, but the truth is when I, and when, and also I'm very lucky because my dad and my stepmom were out here and that was very helpful. Yeah. But I, I, when I got, I was able to live up. I also came out uh, with no credit cards. I paid off all my credit cards. So my come on, was girl. very low. That's amazing. And then when you start booking certain things, like basically my guest star on two broke girls, one guest star. Now it was, it was a pretty meaty one. So I think that could have popped me up a little bit, but the residuals from that saved my ass so many times. I would be like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I have nothing. And I would go to my mailbox and there'd be a $600 check from that two broke girls. And it saved my damn many times because they syndicated two broke girls at 80 episodes. And I was in the 80th episode. Holy. Okay. So for people not in the industry, what essentially syndication usually happens between 90 and 120 episodes, 80s, basically unheard of. And so for them to have made that choice meant they believed enough in the show, but they felt like it had a life that could live beyond kind of like friends or the office. Like those have lives. Yeah. Reruns. reruns. And so as an actor for non-industry folks, if you are, if you're, if you have a speaking part and you have good agents and they negotiate something also SAG does that negotiation for us too. 
you get paid as it airs. So what Jamie's talking about is you don't, you don't know when those residual checks are coming and when you do, it feels like you just won the lottery. And sometimes I have gotten a residual check for one cent. And, and I have as well. <laughs> you better <laughs> believe I've It's a rite of passage. You see yeah, it all is. the time on Instagram or Facebook where someone takes a picture of their 0.01 one. cent yep. residual. Well, and I, there is a way to track them, but I yeah, never I know. do because I'm also yeah. super disorganized, but it's kind of fun <laughs> to just get, go to the mailbox and get it. Yeah. But, um, so, so residuals, teaching, coaching okay. were my bread and butters since I got out here and, and especially going to festivals and doing workshops going out of town. Sure. So if I could do four or five festivals a year that could help float the boat for the the leaner months and that was you teaching or you were performing in those festivals teaching and performing amazing okay all over the country i've gotten to i've gotten is that good english yeah that's english you're you're crushing it i'm, I'm speaking the words yeah um, i've <laughs> Got to go, gotten. Why does it sound weird? I've been to Europe <laughs> teaching. Amazing. Okay. So oh, and I did a I did a cruise ship, and I was able to save a bunch of money when I did that. I did a contract on the cruise ship. So little things here and there have helped immensely in the lean times. Yeah. Because you know, and dear listeners, please. Yes, I've done well. I also drive a 2004 Dodge Neon. So it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm rolling Lexus out here and going like, oh, not yet on TV. You know, I think a lot of my friends in the Midwest think that, you know. Yep. I I said this on a previous episode that like the options for your your friends in the Midwest are like, why haven't you moved home? Or they think you're a millionaire. There is no in between. Like there isn't. (laughs) That's right. And then meanwhile, I'm like watching them buy houses. I'm like, wow, I know. I will. uh, I'd like to buy a house. I should never say I'm trying to work on my intentions. Yeah, you will but buy a house. Hard, eventually. <laughs> it, it, I want a house, but it, it, to buy a house out here, you have to really be shit and gold. Very yes. expensive. Uh-huh. Very expensive. It sure is. Okay, so of those, so I'm rounding you out at 16. That's where we're going to land. And I like that. So, what was your favorite of all of the customer service jobs? So we know acting and performing; those are obviously your favorite things. But of the myriad of customer service jobs that you've had, which has been your okay. favorite? It's got to be bartending at Seven Brothers. I thought that's what you're going to say. Okay. Yeah, it's got to be. I did love working the coat check. Like I said, it was fascinating. I was so young and I, I, I was so naive to so many things that I learned in that club. And I also loved the movie theater and I loved the video store. I haven't even said it, the video store. I worked two and a half movies is how I thought of my shift because I basically worked five hours. Oh my gosh. And like we could put movies on and it was a very ill-attended. So I worked at an ill-attended video store now since closed and an ill-attended movie theater now since closed. So it, it was like, you know, I could put in any movie, watch it. I had so many previously viewed. So like all of them were good, but seven brothers, I think has got to be the number one. Now, why did you quit se- or why did you quit the coat check job? I don't think we talked about why you left. After a while, it was very long hours oh. of 9.30 to 4.30. You know, it was like... Your whole next day is shot. 4.30 in the morning on your weekends. It was long. Oh, I forgot another job. What? I worked part-time midnight shift at Perry Drug, which then became writing. Oh, get out of here. Yeah, that was a, that was a little job I had in the middle. But then again, I, I couldn't work midnights. So City Club, it just got to be so long in the tooth. And I was working at City Club when I went to college. And when I went to college, that was a whole new life. And it was yeah. kind of hard to step away and go do that job. 
Yeah, because you're removing yourself from that life. Okay. Um, 4.30 in the morning. You know what well, I, mean? I, I still work there through college. I'm pretty sure. It might have actually even been Second City. I got hired first to Second City Tour Co. So I wasn't doing main stage when I worked at City Club, but I think maybe that was another thing, too, where it was just like I, I kind of ran the clock out. Yeah, I get that. And then what was your least favorite of all of those jobs, if you're willing to say? Oh, for sure was cleaning the Matrix Theater, scrubbing toilets and cleaning the kitchen there. And that was for $40, right? $40 every Wednesday. That was very humbling. I bet. That was a humbling job. Yeah, Yeah. I, I was thankful to have that. I was thankful for that 160 a month. It was, you know. The detail for people who have never been part of the theater community as a part, apart from, you know, being in the seats. If you've never actually been in a production or done that as an adult, um, actors can be disgusting. And the, (laughs) (laughs) the toilets are usually disgusting and And the customers too. It's too much. Yeah. It's a lot. What's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock? Gotta be city club related. I was thinking that too. I'm like something with the Jaeger shots or the watch my pet ferret or whatever the hell. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, dang, girl. I know I've got a good answer for this. I mean, it has to be check someone's whips. It's pretty or like BDSM whips. Is that yes, when you say whips? BDSM whips. So with they this, have to check, I have to put a tag. I had a roll of tape. I have to give them a ticket and tape a ticket. <laughs> To a freaking whip. Yeah, and and probably coat checking a person in a full pleather suit <laughs> where you can't even see their eyes is another Ooh. thing that was pretty unique. I mean, Jamie, you just won the podcast Olympic with never, <laughs> I've never, no one will ever say the sentence you just said again. <laughs> so you just made history. Um, <laughs> that's pretty weird. Was there ever an incident at any of these jobs where they asked to speak to your manager as a result of something you did or said? I don't think so. I was a pretty good girl. I was a pretty good girl. I was very well liked. And I'm kind of glassing over when I was a box office manager at a theater. That was like my wonderful job. That might be the job I had the longest because I worked there forever in the box office. And uh, we worked the show Menopause the Musical. So maybe there were some complaints about our <laughs> tickets were where we wanted them for Menopause the Musical. But no, pretty Bless I, I can't age. really think of a time I ever got in trouble. The most trouble I ever got into at my job was me trying to, especially when I worked at that theater, they I had the schedule making ability, but they took it away from me because <laughs> I if I got something or needed to do something, I put myself on the schedule from like nine to one. <laughs> And then come back from five to eight. And finally, my boss, Lori, was like, Jamie, you can't make the schedule around your schedule. So that might be the most trouble I ever got into was trying to make the schedule around my schedule. Okay. Was there ever a last straw that got you out of any of the customer service jobs where you were like, not necessarily lit the building on fire, but you were like, I've had it. I'm leaving. Not going to do this anymore. Like not a not a transition of I'm moving. It's time to move on. But more of those like, fuck this job. I'm out. Kate, the big problem with me is I hate change. So Mm. I stayed at every one of those 13 jobs longer than I should have. Every single one of them. I, the city club, I tried to quit. I, I was really mamby pamby about it. I was back and forth. And that's how Sybil hooked me in to just come in and sell Jaeger shots for two hours. (laughs) Like I have a hard time leaving jobs. Uh, Definitely 
the cleaning of the, the theater was probably the one that I, I, as soon as I was able to have some extra money, that was it. I quit that job. And I, I think, I thank them for that job. But it, again, you're, it, it, you're trying to make it as an actress in a town and then you're going and, and cleaning the toilets and it was hard. It was a humbling hard. for yeah. sure. Yeah. It doesn't feel great. Have you ever told a customer to go to hell? Oh yeah. I got into a fight with someone in the coat check. And so the girl said that she was super drunk and the, her and the boyfriend were trying to leave and she didn't have her ticket. She's like, shit, give me a ticket. And I'm like, I did give you a ticket. I'm like, I know what I'm doing here. I give everyone a ticket. You lost your ticket. So you can get your coat at four 30. That bitch didn't give me a ticket. That bitch, that bitch. She was calling me a fat bitch and that bitch. And so the boy, so the head of security was Ron. He's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, just get her the hell out of here. I'm like, tell the boyfriend to come and, you know, uh, identify her keys or whatever from her pocket. So I let him back there. He's going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so we go and he's like, that's her coat. And I, I take the hanger off and what's hanging there, but only one ticket, meaning I did gave give her, her the ticket because ticket. there's like, it's like a paper thing with a hole in it and there's two tickets attached. So if her ticket isn't, if I, if there aren't two tickets hanging there, then you I gave, gave it one. To her. Yeah. So I, I was incensed at this point. And so I ripped the, ripped the coat off. I handed the boyfriend. Then I rush out from the other side of the coat check. And I, I do not have a bad temper, but when it shows itself, it is terrifying. And I was seeing red. And so I took that hanger and I go right into her face. I got the hanger right in front of her face. And I go, I go, you see a fucking ticket. I was like, you see a ticket. And then I reached my hand back. Like I'm about to give her a hanger beat down. And Ron grabs my hand. He goes, no, no, Jamie, don't do it. And I'm like, he's like, don't do it. So I, everyone laughs about that. Cause like everyone, everyone around, everyone knew me as being so fun and chill and laid back. And like, but like I said, I'm right by security. So everyone was just watching with fuck eyes because everyone thought I was about to beat a girl up with a hanger, but he grabbed my arm like this, but I had reeled it back. And I had the hanger. It was like one of those kind of cheapy wire hangers. Sure. And I had it like bent in my hand. <laughs> oh, I was about to go to That's town. Sh- and of course, the girl who stole my tips. But uh, we already know what happened to her. That yeah. was instant karma. Karma, bitch. Getting whipped by a hanger doesn't feel good. You were you were ready to let them know. <laughs> I think to- I knew that from watching movies or something. <laughs> okay. Um, how many bodily fluids have been on your person whilst you were on the clock? Oh, uh, well, tons of spit in my face. <laughs> <laughs> like a sure. like spitting not on a, not that bad but like oh, okay. close talkers Ugh. i certainly saw as we mentioned some fluids around the club <laughs> some from fighting there used to be wild Ooh. fights there the fights were insane i bet so there was often fluids around like that um, you got too many people in ball gags out being told that they oh have to yeah, surrender their ball gags. a lot of nastiness. You, mm-hmm. you got home from that job. It was a full shower and your clothes could not be smokier. <laughs> oh, I don't, oh, I don't miss your the clothes days. clothes could not be smokier. But no, nothing, nothing grosser than probably people yelling in my face. Okay. All right. That's and good. The, just the fluids I saw around were plenty to, yeah. quite an eyeful for a young 
19 and 20 year old girl. Did you ever get barfed on in the coach check room? Anybody ever barf out there? Never got barfed on. Thank wow. you, Jesus. You're very lucky. Okay. Saw a lot of puke. I bet. Saw a lot of puke around. Oh, that smell is so specific. All right. Do, do so you, specific. Oof. Do you tip? <laughs> I tip my butt off. I tip everybody. Okay. I am a generous tipper. And I like to tip people. And I sometimes go a little bit too far with it. (laughs) Especially when, as you know, probably every person who's been on your podcast, when you have been in an industry where you get tips, you can't even ask for a glass of water without leaving a dollar. That's just the rules. Yes. That's the etiquette. and, And it's burned in you. And also... If I get randy with someone over the phone, I, I hearken back to those box office days. It's like, I will often say, like, listen, I know this isn't you, but this is what the fuck happened. Like, if I'm talking to AT&T or something, I'm like, listen, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I'm not coming for you. I'm not coming for you. Yeah. But you have to understand I'm upset. Yes. I say that anytime I'm upset because I understand. Yeah. I really understand. Yeah. And do you, um, what's your average like percentage of tip? Always 20 at the restaurant, if not a little more. And my personal philosophy is a dollar per drink. If I'm buying five drinks, I will leave $5. That's what I used to like when I was a bartender. And I also tip, even when I pick up carryout, I like to tip. And I also like to tip cash because I think that that's better all the way around for all parties involved, if you leave, if so, sometimes I'll even pay for something on credit card and cash and tip. cash. I do not obviously tip retail. That's weird. And, you know, <laughs> I think that would be strange if I was like, thanks for this beautiful blouse. Here's five bucks. They'd be like, this lady's insane. I'd be like, um, we'll still be nice to you. You don't have to give us this extra money. But people in other countries don't understand our tipping system. I've had a listener. They don't? No. Oh, my God. They, no. they almost bears upon insulted. Yeah. I've been twice to teach and perform in Denmark. And their the their prices of their food and stuff is pretty high. But I've been met with some very odd looks when I tip. And, and one of the guys who, who brought me out to do those uh, to do those those two weeks it's like two weeks and he said they're paid very well he's like they make a really good living wage so you know it's kind of funny i don't know that anyone has ever turned it away but there is sometimes it's met with an interesting look yeah you know where's a great place to tip that a lot of people don't tip is starbucks and i had a good friend who worked at starbucks out here and she's like we depend on those tips yeah and and i didn't you know prior to working as a barista i didn't tip baristas because it was like I didn't think about it and it's more labor intensive than bartending in my opinion unless you're doing like craft drinks with like a sprig of holly or whatever the fuck yeah it's I mean being a barista is tough will you ever not tip no I still tip so even if the service is bad I do it begrudgingly if I get bad service I still leave a decent tip okay but I, I try to say to myself this bitch must be having a very <laughs> really bad, bad day. day. Yep. That's I, right. I hate when I, I, I don't like when I can't get my water or whatever little things. But again, I'm, I'm very passive aggressive that way. I usually still go for it. I just do. <laughs> I just do. I was at before pandemic, I was at a bar and the bartender was being a jerk and I was trying to get his attention because I was sitting up front and there was a show had just gotten out and there was a ton of people and I was like, and the girl goes, can you, I go, can I, I go, can I, I can get you what you want, whatever. However I said to her, she's like, can you give me a glass of thing? And I was like, can I get a red wine? And he's like, you've already been served. Ooh. And so I 
finished my drink and I cashed out and left. And that was his mistake. Yeah, you would have stayed there. He also like ruined my night, to be honest with you. He Uh. pissed me off. I already was irritated. And then he, he did that. And I was trying to help that girl. And he gave me a sass. And I just left. So, but I still tipped him. Yeah, I really did. I swear to God, but I, I, he ruined my night and I already was, I don't like to be out here. You know, you can't really, it's very different out here because you can't really have more than one or two drinks anyway. Yeah. But I probably would have still stayed and hung out and had a second drink and probably stayed there for like another hour and hung out with everybody. But he irritated me. So I I had to bounce. I get it. (laughs) I totally get it. Um, Do you ever remember if you ever got stiffed when you were working as a bartender? Oh, like on a tab or something? No, I think I have to change the way I ask this question because everyone thinks it's that. I mean, just not given a tip. So like they paid the tab, but they did. Or have you ever had anyone walk out on a bill? I am sure that that has happened to me, but I, no, no story that ever jumps out. Got it. Um, just again, the girl who stole my tips out of my tip jar. That was a big. She's big a real, but she's getting a real, a lot of airtime for being such a bitch. I'm, I'm gonna have she, to, yeah. You know, that was really it. I don't think that I've had anyone and I have been robbed, but Ooh. never at my job. So that's good. Was that in Detroit? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Bless that city. I'm not coming for your city. I'm not coming for your city, Jane. I just wanted to get clear. (laughs) Okay, that's okay. We'll move on. It was. Um, It was, but you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Have you ever been fired from a customer service job? No, I've never been fired. In your whole life? Full stop. Wow. That doesn't surprise me at all, really. Who's the worst customer you can think of? And you can't mention karma bitch no god damn it <laughs> she's getting the too much airtime customer the worst yeah. customer or like a quintessential if you can't think of one specific example just a quintessential worst customer that you can just that would that would do something like similar to how that bartender ruined your night a customer that has the potential to ruin your night as a bartender is it a particular attitude is it a way they speak to you you know yeah i would say that anyone who is dismissive to me I do not like that because I try to treat everybody nicely and when I worked in the box office if someone was dismissive or demanding about wanting certain tickets or certain seats they might not get the best seats you know if they were rude on the phone they might get a few rows behind I'll be honest about that like I don't like that kind of talk at the bar, if there was someone who was giving me attitude, I don't like that. But again, at, at Seven Brothers or at City Club, if I had a problem, You're at security. it was martial law. I could do whatever I want. Yeah. I, I have, I have uh, cut people off before. I've told them to get the fuck out. And I can be very intimidating if necessary. Sure. So I don't really think anyone wants to tussle with me if it comes down to that. But I would say people that are dismissive are the ones that are the worst to me. Yeah. That's a special kind of disrespect that it's, yeah, it's like you have to you like, oh, you're a bother. I'll have, Oh, you are or like, I would take umbrage if they even didn't like what we served at seven brothers. Like we were mostly beer and liquor. You know, if they're like, I'll have a dirty martini up with a twist. I'm like, we don't got no olives. Like, I was just like, very like, you know, this ain't the bar. This ain't the bar you think it is. You know, if you want that, I would highly suggest you try one of the other 25 bars in Hamtramck. Because we don't got what you're looking for. You have so many other options within a mile radius of your. Oh, absolutely. And there was a regular at 
seven brothers, a guy who was really sexist. Oh, and he nope. would say sexist things to all nope. the bartenders and he was a jerk. But I'll never forget one of the other bartenders. So when I wasn't working, we would all still be at Seven Brothers. And that's where we go when shows were over and we would spend a lot of time there. You could also just go up there, play a game of Euchre and be the only four people in the bar. So it, it, was, it had that vibe. But this guy was really sexist and he would get to talking with anybody who'd listen and he was the worst and so another bartender nova who is such a cool girl i'll never forget she threw a drink in his face yes like yeah (laughs) like i don't think i could have ever done that Mm -hmm. i pretty much ignored him i think he always wanted to push buttons but he would literally say things like women are not as smart as men they're just not like that's the kind of conversation he'd have with people just so tired I pretty much was able to ignore him for the most part but Nova threw a drink in his face and that was when she kind of hit hero status for me yeah you're like Nova we're best friends right now yeah I live vicariously (laughs) through that moment I would have as well okay well now folks we're going to move on to the good stuff we hope you saved room for dessert What was the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working that you can think of or an example of something nice that a customer did? The nicest thing. Mm -hmm. I had a customer at the box office job. I was able to move her tickets for her and she brought me chocolates. Oh, that was really nice. You know, we were we were. We were under Ticketmaster, so you were supposed to be no refunds or exchanges. That's said to every customer on the phone. But we would be able to kind of move their tickets, especially if the show wasn't sold out or we could resell their tickets. And I'll never forget that lady sent me chocolates. That was pretty cool. The night that the gal took my tips, people gave me extra money in my tip jar. Oh, because they saw it happen or you? Everyone knew what happened because it was a big thing and the entrance was blocked by her until the ambulance came. Holy shit. It was the craziest thing. So that was like a big one. I remember people gave me extra money that night. Was she like, so she was on the way out and she just happened as she was getting her coat. She just fully grabbed the money that was in there. I I turned away and she reached into my tip jar and she took like a huge handful of my tips. And then she kind of hustled out the door and I turned around and I'm like, and security started after her and she fell. That's why oh, an okay. entire flight of concrete steps. Ooh. Okay. Well, karma's real. Um, it really is. Yeah. Uh, but I've had, I've had a lot of, not of nice customers. Oh, I have one, two customers at seven brothers on my going away party gave me this. Oh my gosh, I've seen that before. Yes, okay. They made me a puppet. Is that it? Made me a puppet in my likeness, and this used to have a cigarette hanging out of its mouth. And it is one of the sweetest gifts I've ever been given. And I didn't even know they made puppets, or if I did, I never made the correlation. That was a beautiful present. For the listeners, Jamie just held up the puppet, and that's so <laughs> lovely. That's yeah, really and sweet. I, I, love them for that and that was so sweet so i i mean again midwest people midwest sensibilities you know and then out here in la i've gotten some pretty nice presents from shows when they've wrapped and uh you know little things like that and i just have had a, a a charmed life in many ways when it comes to my jobs kate i like working though and in fact i kind of miss having those hustle jobs especially in pandemic where i'm like living off of savings sure 
you know, I, I, I have been trying to get as much coaching as I can do, little things like that. But for the election, I was sending out texts through resistance labs. And so it was really cool. And I sent over 70,000 text messages. They sent me like a badge email and they were like, you are a texter of honor. But they were really cool. I, I texted for several different organizations through the blanket organization of resistance labs. And a lot of my texts were to people in Georgia. So you send the text and a lot of things, and this might be good for your listeners. Yeah. Sometimes we get those texts. We think they're a robot. No, it's someone on the other end of there. That someone is a volunteer usually. And so you could send 200 texts and you'll get two responses back. One response is, fuck you. And the other response is, Trump 2020. You know, like, it can get frustrating. But then every once in a while, someone write back and go, do you know where I can vote early? And they have they have it set up so you can find the perfect answer to that question. And you can also personalize it. Oh. And I swear to God, every person I helped had me in there for a thousand more. Oh, like, every wow. time someone actually responded help yeah and also there were a lot of funny ones there were some really awful ones too that i'll never quote what they said but there were some funny ones like one time someone wrote back adele lyric they said so i said like be sure to vote early here's a link to your locations and they wrote back sometimes it lasts in love and sometimes it hurts (laughs) instead and i wrote back yes it does i said Fun fact, Adele is a British citizen and she can't vote in this election, but you can. And then they wrote back, LOL, LOL, you just made my day. Oh, I love it. Yeah, but most of the responses are like, stop, remove me from the list. But but every once in a while, it was helpful. And then we don't even know who we helped that maybe had forgotten that they needed to vote. They had one more day, whatever. So what I learned, and the reason I bring that story up is not to say, oh, I'm so perfect, but to say that I like just sitting here clicking my computer. I think I could do some busy work like that if I could find something like a little side hustle because you just sit there clicking all day long. Yeah, well, uh, listeners, to anyone that knows of any, you know, side hustle jobs that Jamie could do, she's a (laughs) great employee. She stays a long time. She's told us how loyal she is, and she's... (laughs) She's clearly very smart. So y'all y'all can give her some busy work because she'll crush oh, it. I liked it. I, I'm telling you, it was kind of cool. It's like uh, there were a couple rough days. It, we would all get on a Zoom on Sundays and all of us would send messages. And that was really cool because if we got a really mean or like awful response, it's somehow better when you can like laugh about it. No question. Like, oh, murder you. And you're like, oh, this guy says he's going to murder me. Whereas if you're by yourself and you see that, you're like, Jesus Christ. You're like, is he going to murder me? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what's the best tip you've ever gotten? Can you think of like a, it, maybe it wasn't even monetary. Was I the- do have a, I do have a story of a best tip. I, was working at Seven Brothers. What? And I was at a really broke time in my life. And he doesn't know I'm going to say this, but I am going to tell you. Larry Joe Campbell came to town and he has a very special relationship with George as well. And he had some of his brothers there and they came to the Seven Brothers and George said, whatever Larry wants. No charge. It's on me. Nothing. Whatever he wants. No charge. Jamie. And so I didn't charge him anything. And when he left, he gave me a hundred dollar bill for me. And then he gave me a hundred dollar bill to put into the, the till. He goes, slide this under the, slide this under the, uh, the re- under the, you know, you lift it up. And you yeah, yeah. The, yeah. He goes, slide this in the register. 
And um, I just thought that was so cool. And like, he didn't know, but I was really needed it. Like I really needed it. So that, that time sticks out to me for sure. And I just, I, I've never told him that I've never discussed it with them, but I'll never forget that. I really, really was in a bad way. And that was just a, a fun thing. And that's again, you know, that's yeah. Detroit, baby. That's lovely. And I've heard, you know, I mean, my interactions with him have been very, very limited, but have always been positive. And he's very humble and, you know, oh, he's kind of a, a nice. Yeah. He's such a sweet, sweet person. Yeah. A lot of the successful people that you may have come in contact with at Second City are from the Detroit. Oh, yeah. I mean, over and over and over and over and over yeah. again. Like Naima's from Detroit and she was one of my yeah. favorite coaches there like is yeah. matt craig is not from detroit right but no, he's but from he michigan act like it yeah he, he does he fits like in it. with that crew what up matt <laughs> he sure does. yeah love, love him too matt worked with me on that lego city show we were in the writer's room uh, that doesn't surprise me at all he he deserves yeah. all of the success so do you uh what Thank is you. the best lesson that you have learned from working in customer service try to treat the customer especially when I'm thinking about when I was in the box office more than anything else, try to treat them like their order is important. It's not just another <laughs> order for you that, that, that you can take some interest in, in, you know, for them, they they're calling, they've never ordered tickets over the phone. They don't know what the seats look like. Don't dismiss them and ramble through it. Like it's a, there's a script. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I just, I don't like that when I see it through other people. And I really don't like it when I go to the doctor too. Sometimes I feel like they're rushing me and I'm like, listen, you may have a lot of experience with this doctor. I guess don't. What? I don't like going to the doctor and I barely go to the doctor and I want to talk to you about a problem. Let's fucking act like this is the first time you've heard the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Turn like, your listening ears on. <laughs> like, yeah, this is brand new information, doc. It's brand, yeah. It's like, you know, it doesn't take that much to make eye contact. It's basically a lot of the rules of improvisation. Make eye contact. Listen. Don't just listen to talk. Listen to what I'm saying. Maybe you can say something I've said back to me to really show that you've heard and understood. Mm. If you're looking down, if the first thing out of your mouth is no, you know, it's like with with the box office, it's like, are there refunds? No. Well, I can't make it to the show. My son is sick. All right, let's see what we can do about exchanging your tickets. Try to yes and mm. somebody. And, and, and if you are, the only other advice I can give is if you have someone who's mean to you, Try to imagine they're having a bad day instead of blowing them up to the manager or whatever. Like, I rarely will complain. I just assume everyone is fighting a very different fight. I assume it. And that's, you know, that's, I really try to be that way, Kate. I really do. Because I don't like to complain on people. What if that person had a car broke down on the way to work or something like this? As a sick kid or, yeah, no, that's a, yeah, that's a really good reminder. Their, their dad just died, something like that. And sure. I, I'm you know, they're not in the freaking mood. And so maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, to piggyback on that, there was a, I got a text for, to confirm some appointment that I was making for a family member. And I thought it was this dental appointment I had canceled. So I had a whole bunch of attitude and I was texting back. I'm like, I canceled this weeks ago. And they were like, okay, just give us a call. So I call, and it was an appointment I needed to keep scheduled, but I got all confused. So I called and I was filled with attitude. And I said the address really quickly. And I was like, blah, 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 blah. And the woman could not have been nicer to me. And she's like, well, you said that a little quickly, but that's okay. I'm going to see what I can find. And I was just not being kind. And then because karma is immediate, I hang up the phone and I was like, 
oh my god that was the appointment i needed and i just i now have to eat shit and say i'm so sorry and so then i just did the apology tour of like hey i was a real big bitch to whoever i just talked to and i'm real sorry but she was absolutely lovely so what i to piggyback on yours is you know if you are kind to the person that is being unkind to you they will have guilt for the rest of their lives if they're a good person so like i will forever feel like a pile of shit for the bitch i was right now yeah yes and it was months ago (laughs) so so yeah you're gonna get your long-term revenge by just being nicer i flipped that and made it negative okay last question what is one piece of advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers treat them like they're a member of your family that you like (laughs) (laughs) not just a random uncle that nobody likes Yes, not the not your racist uncle your nice uncle (laughs) the uncle you enjoy no i think that's probably too hard but i would just say try to approach people with kindness everyone is fighting their own battles every damn day the world is a terrible place I have often been accused, actually, by one of my friends specifically, of being nicer to strangers and and <laughs> customer service people than I am to her. <laughs> like, God bless I'll be, your friend. I'll be snapping at her, and then the waitress walks up, and I'm like, "How are you doing today? <laughs> Tell me but all I, the things." I, I love that. I love to be able to be nice to someone. I also am so concerned that people have been mean to them. Like mm. even at, when I go now with, in the pandemic to CVS knowing that seeing these videos or TikToks of people refusing to wear masks and stuff. So I overcompensate. I'm like, thank you for your work. Have a beautiful day. Be safe. You know, every time I walk out of a store, I'm saying those things just to let people know, like, I appreciate you. You're an essential worker. Mm. You are, you know, I, I'm friends with a girl on Facebook who works at a grocery store and she's like, these customers have been so awful. She said they rip their gloves off, throw them in the parking lot. She works at a grocery store. I read that post and it makes me go to the grocery store and I'm like, good evening time, sir. Fairly <laughs> and fairly well to point me towards the Ritz crackers for I must find a snack amongst this craziness. And you, sir, are my king. Like, I just try to be so nice to people. Oh, I love it. Okay, so I'm going to ask you for all your socials and all of that. But for past episodes of things that you have been on that people want to see, What's the, is there a streaming app? Like I'm sure Peacock probably has Parks and Rec, but is there, you know, a a way that to find you to watch stuff you've been in, they can find you specifically? How do they do that? There is. If you like the sound of my voice and you'd love to see more, (laughs) visit my IMDB page where you will see listed the names of the episodes of the shows I've been on. If you wanted to support me, Go watch AP Bio streaming on Peacock. I show up occasionally as Joyce, who works in the office. And I love that show. And I want you to see it. And check out my Bob's Burgers. You can see the names of the episode, uh, the two episodes. One's called PTA, It Ain't So, based on a Weezer song that Say It Ain't So, reminding me that I also put Weezer in the jukebox at Seven Brothers <laughs> against, or sorry, at City Club against many people's wishes. <laughs> and so PTA It Ain't So and Three Girls and a Little Warfie is my other Bob's Burgers episode. You can see me in a couple episodes on Future Man on Hulu. I've got a whole list of stuff on my IMDb. And apparently if you click on IMDb, 
that's good. Yes, so it is. I, I could use the click. So yes. just J-A-I-M-E-M-O-Y-E-R on IMDb. And you can follow me on Twitter, Jamie underscore Moyer. J-A-I-M-E underscore M-O-Y-E-R. Well, yay. Um, that is, that, that's going to do it for us. Well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out at Service from Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled in the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here directly at Service from Hell, send us your receipts at servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thanks, Jamie. Really Thanks, Jamie. I miss on. you. This was I so fun. I miss you. Thank, Thank you. you for doing this. Good night, everybody. Bye. I love it. Thank you. Thanks for doing this, Jamie. I really appreciate it. That was really, really fun. I cannot believe you worked at a goth club for five years. Oh, my God. That job was banooners. (laughs) Banooners, girl. I bet you saw more things in those five years than people go a lifetime seeing. (laughs) 